0: We turn in God's word this evening to the book of First Timothy, First Timothy chapter one, as we begin a series on the books of First and Second Timothy. Um, the last time that I went through these two books was seventeen years ago. So my guess is, uh, one, uh, there wasn't a high number of you who were here seventeen years ago. And if you were, you probably don't remember the series. So uh, I think I'm on pretty safe ground of going back through 1st and 2nd Timothy uh, over the course of these next several Lord's Days. And uh, before I forget, Brother Nate, if you would include in your prayer, uh, I, going over my notes, I, I missed the prayer for, for Jim Jagger. Uh So if you would remember to pray for him as he goes through the process. First Timothy chapter 1, I'm only preaching on verses 1 and 2, but we're going to read the whole chapter tonight. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. By swerving from these, have wandered away in vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer.
1: Our dear Heavenly Father, Jesus loves me, yes, this I know, for your word has told me so. You love us, Lord, especially even when we weren't lovable. You loved us before time. You gave us and give us what we need, are stand in need of. And right now, Lord, one of your servants, Jim Jagger, is in need of your blessing. And if it's possible, Lord, maybe if you could instill a little extra, give him what he needs. Give him what he stands in need of be with his family, and be with those who are governing what happens to him. Lord, we just pray that you will give Pastor Bob the words necessary to provide us with the lesson. Clear our minds, clear our hearts, make them receptive to the words that he says. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
0: And amen. So as we consider this passage before us tonight, these first two verses of God's breathed out word, want to consider three things. First of all, an apostle. All right, that's one of the three thoughts that come out of this section, Paul, an apostle. Secondly, the greeting to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the greeting. What is that all about? And then thirdly, our hope tucked in between this apostleship and this greeting is this small little statement of Paul, Christ Jesus, our hope. And what a even though it is small, and even though it perhaps doesn't catch our attention right away, it is indeed perhaps the pivotal part of this opening and perhaps even of the entire book. Christ, our hope. So first of all, though, an apostle. If I were to ask you on a short answer test, okay, what is an apostle? Give me the definition. Give me the meaning of the word apostle. We use it. We use it frequently when we're talking about uh, the New Testament. We talk about the 12 apostles, We talk about Paul the Apostle or Peter the Apostle, John the Apostle. What does that mean to be an Apostle? You might say, well, it means to be a disciple, doesn't it? No, a disciple is different than an Apostle. He had 12 disciples, but there are also 12 Apostles. An Apostle is different than a disciple. A disciple is one who is called to the teacher to learn. A disciple is one who is brought, as it were, in the Jewish times to the rabbi to be taught. One then is discipled. One then learns from the teaching. An apostle is one who is sent out. So there are actually two different things. A a disciple is one who comes. An apostle is one who goes. It's a messenger. It's one who has been commissioned by somebody of authority, of higher authority, to go out to represent them to others with their message. Not their own message, not the messenger's message, not the apostle's message, but the message of the one who has commissioned them. The one who has given them the task. They are those who are sent on a mission. Paul here identifies himself as one of those. He is one who was never a disciple, interestingly enough, but he is one of the 12 apostles. He's not one of those who is at the Mount of Olives gathered with Jesus. He's not one who heard the Sermon on the Mount. He's not in the upper room with Jesus. He doesn't have the Lord's Supper with Jesus. He doesn't see the resurrected Christ in that upper room. He's not even at Pentecost. And yet God and the Lord Jesus have commissioned him to be an apostle. That's the first thing. But there's a second part behind just the, the meaning of the word. So we understand what it means. It also is one That carries great authority. There is the authority of the word. Now you'll notice in the outline, I didn't make a mistake. Okay, I put the meaning of the word, small w, and then I had the authority of the word, big w. Because that's what an apostle is called to do. He is called to go out with the message of the word. He is called to go as one who has been commissioned to represent this one of great authority in going out into the world with this message. And Paul identifies for us who gave him this authority. By whose authority and whose word is Paul bringing out into the world? I'm doing so, Paul says, by the command of God. And when it's left in that sense, it's it's left in the sense of the Father. I've been commissioned, I've been appointed to this task by the Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. These are the two who have commissioned me. I am going out in their name. When I went to the churches of Galatia on my first missionary journey, Paul is saying, I went there commissioned by God the Father, by Jesus Christ, to go to bring their message, to bring their word to others. Now, there's probably a particular reason why Paul couples these two together here. And that's because as we go further into chapter one, what do we learn of? We learn already that there are false teachers. Part of the false teaching that is going on that Timothy is now going to have to deal with, and Paul is saying to him, you're going to have to deal with this, Timothy. Part of that false teaching is the denial of Christ. It's a denial of Christ's work. It's a denial of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. So at the very onset, it's as if Paul is laying down the gauntlet and saying, listen, okay, don't be, don't, don't be fooled here. Jesus Christ is not some apostle wannabe. Jesus Christ is not some disciple. Jesus Christ is not some rabbi. Jesus Christ is not just uh, an option. Jesus Christ is equated with God. There is an equality here. My commission is from the Father and from the Son. There is, And he's saying this as if there is no distinction in terms of rank, power, authority between the two. This is who Paul identifies himself at the onset. He wants those who read this, he wants Timothy to know the authority with which he is coming, with which he is addressing the matters that he is going to take on in this book, which is a personal letter. That's why we, we, the second thing we look at is Paul. He's the one writing To Timothy, who's Timothy? Well, Paul identifies Timothy here and then back in verse 18 later on as well as his child. As his child, my true child in the faith. Not a biological child, not a biological son, not his literal offspring, but his spiritual offspring. Paul, on his missionary journey, had met Timothy, and there appears to have been, through the message of Paul and through the work of the Holy Spirit, the conversion of Timothy. Timothy then comes along with Paul. He has accompanied Paul on several missionary journeys, they have been together. This young man, and he's relatively young at the time of his conversion, has, has come along with Paul on these journeys. He has assisted Paul. He has been a help to Paul. In fact, several of the New Testament letters or epistles that Paul writes, Timothy is along in that, okay? Sometimes it's Paul and Timothy. Timothy assists in writing this. These two have a very close Bond with one another. Paul feels and understands that that he is Timothy's father in the faith. That he is the one that that is, is responsible for Timothy. Not only in his training, not only in bringing him up, but that Timothy is in some respects a reflection on Paul. And that as Timothy stands strong, Paul can take good courage. God, Paul can take good confidence in that. Paul can have good hope in the fact that that Timothy is standing strong in the faith. And is a bold preacher of the gospel. It brings Paul joy. It brings Paul a delight. It brings Paul, in a sense, a, a good Good sense of pride. Not a sense of self-pride, look what I have done. But in the sense of he has done well for himself. God has certainly used him. God has certainly blessed him. This is the relationship between the two. He is writing to Timothy. The second thing I want you to note about the greeting is what it is. What does he say to this spiritual son in the faith as the one who is the apostle, as the one sent out, commissioned under the authority of the father and the son? He comes to Timothy and he greets him. Do you recognize those words? Do you recognize that? It's the greeting I've used this morning and tonight. Grace, mercy, and peace. There is probably very few ways that Paul could express the fullness of the Christian faith in any other words than these. Isn't this all of it? Isn't it right here? The fullness, the richness, the depth, grace. That which is done by the Father, moving in grace, even though we're sinful human beings, even though Adam and Eve had sinned by eating of the fruit of that tree, still the Father comes in grace, Adam, where are you? And God in his grace, the Father in his grace has been at work since even before the foundations of the world calling out to you. And to me. Ah, the beauty of that word. Right? We don't deserve it. Ella had us sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There are very few hymns that move and touch Christians' hearts more collectively than that hymn. Why? Because we understand. We understand the richness and the fullness of that word. Wrapped up into that is is our sin. Wrapped up in that is our depravity. Wrapped up in that is our unworthiness. But wrapped up in it is the character of the being of God. Grace. Mercy. May not only grace be yours, may mercy be yours. Now think of what that means given given where we were this morning in Leviticus chapter 16 at that mercy seat, right? With the sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon the mercy seat of God. what what, What allows for this forgiveness? What allows for this salvation? What allows for this atonement? What is the means by which, by which God's grace is conveyed to us? How do, how do you and I experience God's grace? At the mercy seat. There, there at that seat at, below the, where, where God resides. At the place where we should come to judgment. At the place where our sins should be laid bare before the Father. There is the sprinkled blood of Christ. Mercy. Not only that God doesn't need to act, but he does act. But look at how he acts. He brings about mercy through Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace. We learn in the Word of God that peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is His work. He is the one who brings about peace. And you see, when we have grace, when we have mercy, what is the result? The result of that is peace peace between ourselves and God. There's been a reconciliation, there's been a healing, there's been a restoration. We've we've come back into the presence of God. We who were cast out, we who were turned out from God's presence, we who were not allowed to enter God's presence are now suddenly ushered in because of grace and mercy so that we can have peace with God. But not only peace with God, we might experience peace with one another. That there might be this great breaking down of barriers between us and others that perhaps in in other ways we might be at odds with, but because we are in Christ, but because we are participants of, of God's grace and we're receivers of God's mercy, we have peace with one another. One author puts it this way. He said, grace was a common greeting amongst the Greeks. So when they would meet one another in in Greek, they would come to one another and it would be grace, grace, you know, a little wave, grace, grace to you, grace to you. Jews, on the other hand, had the greeting of shalom, peace. But it's only the Christian, it's only the believer who has the full orb because grace is nothing without mercy and peace is non-existent without grace and mercy. So Paul in three words is, is bringing to Timothy all the fullness of the totality of the word. Grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the person writing, the Apostle Paul, and we have the recipient, Timothy. There in the middle is that phrase, Christ Jesus, our hope, our hope. So here's your question on your test. Define for me what is hope. When we talk about it as as Christians, when the Bible uses the term hope, what does it mean? Now, if you were to say, I hope that the University of Michigan goes undefeated this season. That would be a wish. That's not hope. It'd even be bigger wish to say, I hope the Lions win at least three games this year. Right? We often use the word hope to mean wish. Oh, I hope that happens. Oh, I hope everything goes well. Oh, you're going in for surgery. Oh, I sure hope it goes well for you. Oh, you're going in for a, a screening I sure hope it goes well for you it's like we're wishing it it's like in the back of our heads we're going oh boy this is going to be horrible this is not going to be good this is going to bring all sorts of problems as we use the word hope in our general speech with one another it, it's it's sort of yeah maybe kind of 50 50 right eh possible. Things will work out. I'm just not real sure, but I sure hope they do. I wish. That's not the New Testament meaning. That's not what the Greek word means. Hope in Greek means an expectation of the result. You see, it's not a wishing it happens. It's the believing it is going to happen. It's the idea of a trust that you know is not going to change. In one of the songs we sang, and I quickly tried to find it again and I, I couldn't find it. it, we had the song, My Anchor. My Anchor. See, an, an anchor is that which holds. An anchor is that which doesn't give way. If you've ever been on a, on a big naval ship, or you've been on a a big cruise ship and you see the size of that anchor and you see them put it down and you see them tie it, they go down into the ground and it's holding and you go, we're not going anywhere with that anchor. It's not, I sure hope we don't go anywhere with the anchor down. I sure hope we stay. You know you're not going anywhere. It's the idea of confidence. Christ. Our confidence. See, that gives you a different take, doesn't it, than Christ our hope. I sure hope this thing with Christianity works out. I sure hope this thing with believing in Jesus works out. I sure hope Jesus comes again. But that's not what the word means. That's what we've devalued it down to. That's what we've watered it down to. When Paul speaks and says of Christ, our hope, he means that Christ is our confidence. Christ is our surety. Christ is our anchor that holds against all the storms. Christ is solid. Christ is trustworthy. Christ is immovable. Christ is our hope. And that's the basis, isn't it? Our hope is Christ. As Paul is going to go through and deal with the problems and difficulties that he's going to have to address with, with Timothy about the church that he is serving, bear in mind that, that behind all of this are those who are, are trying to erode The fact that Christ is our hope, Christ is our confidence, Christ is our surety. There are those who want to cut that down. Part of it is they want to make more of a works righteousness. They want to make it more about their contribution to their salvation than it is resting upon grace, mercy, and peace than upon resting in Christ and in Christ alone. Even as we learned again this morning, where where does all of Leviticus 16 point us? Where does all of that book point us? Where does all of that law point us? It points us to Christ. Because not all the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain can redeem one single human being. You read about some of those sacrifices of the Old Testament. There were thousands of animals. This morning I used the expression 55-gallon drums of blood. There were drums and drums and drums of it. Not one drop of which could redeem could atone for one single sin only Christ only Christ see the, the only when we understand that can we speak of Christ our hope in the way that that Paul means it here that Christ is our confidence Christ is the one upon whom we are relying. Christ is the one to whom we are looking. Paul has been through much by the time he writes this. We're in somewhere between 62 to 66 AD. Paul will speak in places of the beatings he's had. The number of times he's been imprisoned the number of lashes he's received, times he's been stoned and shipwrecked, the hardships of persecution that he has gone through. Why? Because Christ is his hope. This past Wednesday night, we looked at the life of John Huss. standing amidst the flames that are taking their time in bringing about his death. He prays for the forgiveness of those who are burning him to death. Why could he do such? Because Christ was his hope. His confidence was not in John Huss. His confidence was in Christ. Christ, Jesus, our hope. Thirdly, under hope is the response. Confident of what about Christ? See, that would be the next question. Okay, so Paul has confidence. He has confidence in Christ. In what regards? Well, Paul is confident in the work of Christ. He is confident that when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. It is finished. Your salvation, your salvation, Paul's salvation had been accomplished. He was confident in Christ's work that Christ had finished the task that the Father had given to him, that he had finished it perfectly, that he had finished it completely, and that that work of Christ on the cross was fully accepted by the Father. Paul was confident in the finished work of Christ. Secondly, Paul is confident of Christ's coming He's confident of the fact that when Jesus sat down with his disciples in John chapter 14 and spoke to them in verse 3, that he was not lying, that he was not leading them on, that he was not just giving them some wishful thinking. Hey, guys, hold on to this. Life's about to get really hard and life's about to get really tough. Here's some wishful thinking for you. No. Paul is confident of these words of Jesus. I will come again and take you to be with me. He's confident of that. Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to take me to be with him. Does it matter then what I face in this life? Does it matter then what persecutions we might have to endure? Does it really matter the difficulty of physical struggles we may have to go through in this life? I will come again and I will take you to be with me. Paul's not just looking at that as, oh, that's some wishful thinking. Yeah, that's real nice. But (laughs) yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. No, as much as Paul is confident in that finished work of Christ and his cry it is finished, he is confident in the words of Jesus. I'm coming. And I'll take you to be with me. Thirdly, He is confident of Christ's reign. These words of Jesus, all authority and power has been given to me. Not will be, not someday, not might be, not possibly. Hey, isn't it really a nice wish to think maybe someday I'll have some victory and I'll get some authority and I'll have some power in this world in which you live in. Right now I'm kind of helpless. Right now it's kind of hopeless, I know. But did you hang in there. Do a little more wishing and and maybe things will turn around. No, Paul is confident in the fact that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Even in the midst of his persecutions, even in the midst of the evil world in which he lives in. Even in the midst of a church that's falling apart because of false teachers, Paul is confident that Christ is ruling and reigning. And my friends, that's what I want you to wake up with Wednesday morning. I'm no prophet, nor am I the son of the prophet. I have no idea how things are gonna go Tuesday night. I'm not a believer in polls. <laughs> I think that's a lot of wishful thinking at times. That's not the word hope. (laughs) That's wishing on some people's parts. But I'm confident that when I wake up Wednesday morning, if the Lord hasn't taken me to glory, that when I wake up, I am confident nobody got Jesus Christ off a throne. Nobody took away Christ's scepter. If this election goes completely opposite of the way that you and I pray for, work for, Christ is still in control. And I'm confident of that. I'm confident Christ was in control always. Christ, you see, is our hope. Not just wishful thinking. So when you and I wake up on Wednesday morning, we wake up to a new day that God has given to us, a day in which you and I can say Christ is our hope. I am confident of Christ's finished work on the cross for my salvation. I am confident of the fact that Christ is coming again and taking me to be with him. And I am confident of the fact that Jesus Christ is king today as he always has been. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. We need a good dose of reality. We don't need wishful thinking. We just don't need optimistic viewpoints. We need the confidence of Christ. We need hope. The kind of hope that that Paul is speaking here. The kind of hope that Paul is giving to Timothy as he's about to undertake a very hard and difficult task of confronting these false teachers. Even though he's young and even though he's somewhat inexperienced, Timothy's confidence was not to be in himself. It was to be in Christ. And so for us as well, to live today, to die tomorrow, to serve today, to serve tomorrow, is because we are confident of Christ. And so, Father, in that confidence, Paul can say, rejoice, rejoice in any and all circumstances. Again, I say, rejoice, for we know the one who truly is hope, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. God's people again say, amen. Amen.